Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a blessing that we can be here again for worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are here this afternoon and also those who are tuning in via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message turn our hearts in faith and trust towards our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Before we begin the worship service, the consistory has the following announcements. In order to fulfil the, va- the vacancy for two deacons, consistory has nominated the following four brothers. Renia de Vries, Tim Everts, Colin Klein and John Overmullen. In order to fill the vacancy for four elders, consistory has nominated the following seven brothers. Sean Brand, Dick Pott, Warner Spiker, Eric Tahart, Klaas van Dyke, Martin Visser and Ruben Sandman. The election for office bearers are scheduled to take place immediately after the morning worship service on Sunday the 16th of October. The consistory as elders only will meet tomorrow at 8pm, the Lord willing. This afternoon's worship service will be led by Brother Plater. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together hymn 36, verse 1 and 2. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise for worship. As we come into the presence of God and to worship his holy name, let us confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Amen. And God greets you this afternoon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now praise God with Psalm 122, verses 1, and th- 1 through 3, where we praise him for the opportunity that he gives us to, to worship.
One more. letter to the Corinthians in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 he says there in verses 13 to 14 he says since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written I believed and so I spoke we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence and so now let us also confess our Catholic undoubted Christian faith with the words of of him one
Let's now come before God in prayer. Eternal God and, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, you have gathered us together once again as church of our Savior. We thank you that you desire to live in relationship with us. Lord, you do not need us to love, nor do you need us to be in relationship, for you have existed for ages and for eternity in relationship and in love with your trying being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Father, in your grace you have brought us by the you have bought us by the blood of Jesus, so that we might also experience that eternal love and relationship. Lord, we praise you for your goodness to us. For Lord, in love you predestined us for adoption to, to be sons through Jesus Christ. And Lord, it, it was your great mercy. It was because of your great mercy and the great love which, with which you've loved us that even while we were dead in our sin, you made us alive. Lord, how deep is your love for us and how vast beyond all understanding that we should be called your children. And so, Lord, now we, we come before you as children. We ask that you would grow and increase our faith. We pray that, that you would be with us. Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, Lord, often our, our faith is, is so fickle. One day we are, are confident in your promises. We are confident that you are with us. We're confident of your love and your grace. And other times we are consumed with doubt. We're consumed with worry. We are like the man who, who cried out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would strengthen our trust in our Savior, that we may lay our sins before you and our worries before you, fully believing that you indeed care for us. And Father, we also thank you that we could celebrate the Holy Supper. Whether we are at the table or whether we are in the pew celebrating, Lord, we thank you that you give us a tangible, touchable picture and pledge of your goodness to us in Christ. And Father, may we be encouraged in our faith and may it nurture our faith and that it would lead to, to trust. And Father, as we now behold your Savior in the reading of your word and, and in the proclamation, we pray that our identity in Christ would give us confidence today and tomorrow to continue to live before you, to encourage each other, to pursue holiness, to resist the, the flaming attacks of the spiritual forces, and to also look forward to that great day when, Lord Jesus, you will come and where we will stand before you and in your presence redeemed by your blood. Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So this afternoon we'll be going through the Lord's Day, Lord's Day 31, about the keys of the kingdom. And so in preparation for that, we'll read two passages from Matthew. So the first passage from Matthew we'll read is when Jesus actually gives the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16. And then also Matthew 18 where we read about church discipline. So we'll read from Matthew 16, and we'll read the verses 13 through 28. And that is found on page 977 of, your, of the Pew Bibles.
So this is the word of God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if, it gains, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pray each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So, so far from Matthew 16, and now let's just turn the page and turn to Matthew 18. We read about Jesus outlining the process of church discipline. And so we'll read together the verses 7 through, through 20. So Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands and two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the, in the mountains and go in search of the one who, that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So far from the reading of God's word, let us now sing Psalm 102 verses 8 and 9. And there we praise God that he humbles us and also delivers us from sin. So our confessional reading is from Lord's Day 31, and this is rounding off the the part of the catechism that deals with the sacraments. So Lord's Day 31, and you'll find that on page 546 of the the Book of Praise. 
So Lord's Day 31, where it is asked and answered, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is open when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rests on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is to the elders. And if they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing from hymn 24, verses 1, 4, 5, and 6. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, After the Queen's passing some several weeks ago, many of you probably watched some of the footage, maybe of the funeral itself or even just some of the the programs that were on television about the Queen and and what she was remembered for. Now I imagine that for, for many of us, that was probably the first time we had ever really given a lot of thought to the Queen in a long time. And this is very understandable because in the way our society is set up, the queen doesn't really function in in a way that that touches our lives in in the day-to-day living of our lives. For the most part, the, the royals, the crown, the kingdom, all of that is kind of something of the past. It's something that you, you read about in the history books or something that you read about in, in novels. Think of, say, for example, Tolkien's the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, or maybe you can think of some of the Uh, the Disney uh, prince and princess stories. It seems to be something of the imagination, not something that is a reality. It's something of the past, not really something of the present. And yet, as we sit here in church, God is at work gathering his kingdom and establishing his kingdom in the world. And his kingdom is real. It's not something of imagination. It's something that all the other kingdoms are pointing to, the reality of God's kingdom. And this kingdom God has already established in Jesus Christ. He is king of kings, he's he's lord of lords. God is drawing people into his kingdom to live under the saving rule of Christ. But if you are to come under the saving rule of Christ, if you are to come under his reign, you have to enter through a door, a narrow door as the scriptures tell us. And this door is one with, with a lock and with keys. 
Our catechism tells us that the keys that open this door to the kingdom is the key of the preaching of the gospel and also church discipline. And so by these keys, the kingdom is opened and the kingdom is closed. In Revelation 3 verse 7, we read that Jesus is the one who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one shuts, and what he shuts, no one opens. But then what is amazing is that Christ gives these keys to his church, to the elders and to the consistory of his church. In Matthew 16 verse 19, we we read that together, and also in Matthew 18 verse 18, we read that Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to his church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you open will be open, and whatever you close will be closed. And Christ gives us these keys so that his people might be restored to God and and live as kingdom citizens, as sorry, I should say, as citizens of the king. And so therefore, I summarize God's word to you as it's summarized in the confessions, Here in Lord's Day 31, under this theme, Christ gives the the kingdom keys to restore us to the king. And we'll see two things. Firstly, the the key of kingdom preaching. And second, the key of kingdom discipline. Now, congregation, when we talk about entrance into a door, when we talk about keys, we're assuming something. We're assuming that the kingdom is something that we want to enter into. That we want to be a part of. But maybe we should ask ourselves, why should we assume that? Why do we want to be part of the kingdom? Why do you want to be part of the kingdom? Well, ultimately, brothers and sisters, being part of the kingdom of God is really, is really the place to be. It's where we will dwell with God. We will be able to converse with God, at least even in the future, face to face. It's where we experience His love, His, His goodness. It's where we will experience joy, happiness, fulfillment. You see, this world has so much to offer us in this way. There's so many things that our world tells us that will bring us true joy and true fulfillment. And we heard a bit about that this morning, what the, what the world sees as, as enjoyable. And we can get sucked into that. But really, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is where there will be true joy, lasting joy. Joy that can't be robbed from us because of circumstances. Joy that stays. It's a place where we'll experience peace. It's a a place where we won't have to wrestle with with sin. The sin that daily besets us. That will be cast off. And also what it means to live in the kingdom of God and under his reign. It also means that we will live according to the commandments. Now, sometimes we can think to ourselves that, you know, living under the commandments of God is is tough, it's difficult, really it's a killjoy. But through the Bible we see that when we are living according to God's commandments, it's actually where we experience flourishing, where we experience the life and abundance that Christ has obtained for us. The kingdom of heaven is this beautiful thing that we want to be a part of. And its future glory is something that you can get snippets of when you, when you read of different novels where artists gives these pictures of a, of a utopia, these beautiful kingdoms, these things that are otherworldly. 
You, you know, just think of Lord of the Rings and the, king of, the kingdom of the elves. It's this beautiful kingdom that you want to be a part of when you look at it. Well, these are just little glimpses, imaginations that, that give us a sense of what the future glory of the kingdom of God that he is establishing already today will be like. It will be something that is beyond our imagination. But then if you're outside of the kingdom, then you're in kingdom darkness. If you're outside of the kingdom of light, then you are caught under the slavery of sin. You don't belong to yourself, which is often what we think, but you are enslaved to Satan. You're enslaved to the, the, the powers of darkness that we heard about this morning, those spiritual forces who just spew out lies, who capture us by their lies, who captivate us and enslave us whose sole goal is our destruction. Being outside of the kingdom means that we are under the heavy judgment of God for our sins. And so that is why all of us, we don't want to be a part of the kingdom of darkness. No, we want to be a part of the kingdom of God, where we experience His favor, where we experience His presence in our lives. But then the question is, how? How do you become a part of that kingdom? And the thing is, by nature, we, we cannot be a part of that kingdom. The fact of the matter is, is that because of our sins, because we have rebelled against God, we cannot be in the kingdom of God unless our relationship with God is restored, unless our sins are paid for. And so something drastically has to change. You see, in paradise, man rebelled against God. He rejected God's good kingship, his rule over Uh, mankind's lives and as a result God justly and mercifully expelled him from the kingdom the fall into sin led to the establishment of another kingdom the kingdom of darkness which is ruled by the prince of the kingdom which is Satan and he rules in the hearts of fallen men where there is unbelief and in the hearts of those who reject him and who don't live for God And so as a result, we became enemies of God's kingdom. The kingdom doors were shut, locked shut, closed, never to be entered unless something changed in our relationship with God. Because our sins meant that we could not be a part of that kingdom. But then the glory of the gospel is that God came to us. The the good news of the gospel is that Christ had come and and redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness. He's brought us out of that. By Christ's death on the cross, he's delivered us. He saved us from the slavery of sin. And so his righteousness covers our unrighteousness. His holiness covers our unholiness. His obedience covers our deliberate disobedience. The, the message of the gospel of the kingdom, there is, there is forgiveness with, with God. There is restoration with God. That is the glory. And this, and this gospel is preached to all and to everyone when Christ is proclaimed. The doors of heaven are flung open. And all are invited to join. As it says in the catechism, God has really forgiven us. When it's proclaimed and publicly testified that God has really forgiven us in Christ all our sins. But then even as this gospel is proclaimed to to all of us and to other people around the world, the doors of heaven aren't automatically open just because the preaching went forth. Because not all enter the kingdom. 
No, those who enter the kingdom are those who respond to the preaching with faith, who believe. We confess in the catechism, it says, it says there in Lord's Day 1, it says, though, according to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is open when it is public, publicly testified. And it says, as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. By true faith. That is how we enter into the kingdom. It's when we receive the salvation that Christ has been, obtained for us. When we receive that salvation with the arms of faith, that is when we are part of the kingdom of God. And it's only through faith that we receive the blessings and the glory of the kingdom. As Paul writes, and he says there in, in uh, Romans 10, verse 8 to 10, he says, But what does the word say? It says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And then he continues, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess, if you believe. And he says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. By God's grace we are saved through faith. The kingdom of heaven is, is open when we, through the, with the arms of faith, accept what is ours in Christ. It is by faith that we embrace what Christ has done, his righteousness, his forgiveness, the fact that he has restored the relationship between us and God. We embrace that and we make it our own. So brothers and sisters, believe in the gospel of the kingdom. For by this you are gifted entrance into the kingdom of God. Through the preaching, God is calling all of us to continue in faith, to believe in him, to trust him. Because all, as Jesus says, all those who receive him, he gifts them the blessing of being children of God. He gives them the right to be children of God. He gives them the right to be citizens of the kingdom. And so Christ says to us, he says, come. Come experience my loving rule that I've established on this earth. Come receive the life in abundance that I've obtained for you. Come. Come taste at the table that we celebrated this morning. See how my body was broken for you. See how my blood was poured out for you. That kingdom, my kingdom stands open before you. Come enter by faith. And so it's by faith that we are received into the kingdom. Through Christ. But and then as the kingdom is opened, it is also closed through the preaching of the gospel. Because brothers and sisters, if you do not believe in the gospel, if you do not believe in the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, then the kingdom is closed to you. If you, re you refuse to turn from your sin, to repent, then you have no part of the kingdom. That is what we read together in the form this morning. It's declared to you that you have no part of the kingdom of God. If you make no effort whatsoever to, be, to change in your ways, but if you just continue in sin and refuse to, to, to change your ways and to accept the claim of Christ in your life, then you will be cast out of the kingdom. You see, it can happen that we can come to church 
We come because, you know, our parents tell us. Or we come because we have a community that, that we know and that we're comfortable with. But it has no impact on how we live the rest of our lives. We come to church, we hear the preaching, but we do nothing with it. There's no turning in repentance even though God is calling forth to us. There's none of that. We just continue in our sins. We just live two-faced lives. Where the gospel has, has no impact. And brothers and sisters, if that is you, if that's the place that you're in, if you have no interest in turning to Christ, then God's kingdom is close to you. God is calling you to repent. God is calling you to turn to Him, to believe in Him, to cast off your sins. To receive forgiveness through Christ, to, to be restored to Him, to be made right with Him. Because if you're not restored to Christ, if you're not restored to God, if you don't believe and accept Christ's salvation with the arms of faith, if you reject that, then you are cut off from the kingdom. And that has real consequences for your lives. It's not just some Disney imaginary kingdom that will never come true. No, this has a real impact. And so God is calling us, through the preaching of the gospel, God calls us to respond in faith because then we experience the kingdom and we are brought under his saving rule. So brothers and sisters, Christ gives the, the keys of the gospel of the kingdom so that it may be opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel. But then he also gives us the key of church discipline which closes and then opens. And that's what we'll see in our second point, the key of, of kingdom discipline. So this morning we heard that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, battling against the spiritual powers of darkness. And so that means that we're in this hand-to-hand -hand combat with sin constantly. Daily we are engaged in the battles against the sins of weakness, our besetting sins, sins that we try to, to destroy and get rid of in our lives, but they keep coming back. We daily struggle with that. But sometimes it can happen that we can be like that seed where our sins start to choke us, where our, sin can be, when our, where our faith can be snatched by the, by the devil where we can be hardened in our sin and where our relationship with Christ and with God is, is jeopardized by our sin. You see, it's telling that when Jesus gives the, the keys of the kingdom, I mean, I should say, when Jesus talks about church discipline and when he outlines what that looks like, he does so in the context of the struggle and the temp and struggle with temptations and our struggle with sin. So we read together from, from Matthew 16, where Jesus talks, I mean, Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about uh, how drastic we are to fight against sin. And how drastic that, that fight looks like. You know, if your hand causes you to sin, well, you cut it off. You, you, it's like you amputate it from you. So that you enter into the kingdom. Because if you don't, you may be cast into hell with, with both feet. He says there, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And so it's in that context of battling with sin and temptation that Christ gives the command for church discipline, to rebuke one another in love. 
And so already we see that the goal of church discipline is not to punish someone because they've sinned against you. It's not sort of a one-upism, you know, I'm here, you're there. But rather the goal is actually to deliver that person, that wayward person, from the clutches of the devil. It's so that their relationship with God might be restored. So God gives us the keys so that we might be restored to him. And that's true with preaching the gospel, but here also with with church discipline. We read this in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says there, in Matthew 15, I mean 18, verse 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. If he listens, you have gained your brother. You have won him over. Elsewhere in scripture, that word is used to describe unbelievers who are saved at, at the, uh, the day of Christ. They are won over, they are gained. And so the aim of church discipline already we see is that it's other focused. It's about Christ is showing us that it's not so much about the, the restoration of the human relationship, which it, which it certainly includes, but first and foremost, it's about that person's relationship with God. It's about bringing them into right relationship with God. So the motivation is for the salvation of a sinner, the salvation of someone who is wayward. And we know this from what Jesus immediately says beforehand. So he talks about the parable of the lost sheep. He says if someone, you know, he loses their sheep, well, he loses one sheep, he's going to go. He's going to leave the 99 and he's going to go and find that one sheep, that wayward sheep. And it's a picture of God's love for the wayward, God's love for the lost. Because it's not God's will for that anyone perish in sin. And this theme of winning someone over through rebuking and through, through discipline is something that the Apostle Paul picks up in, in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians. So there in, the Corinthian, in 1 Corinthians 5, I should say, Paul is admonishing the Corinthian church because they are, they are allowing a brother to live in sin, in very public sin. So this brother is living in sexual immorality. It's, it's blatant. It's public. People know about it. But nothing is, is being done. Nothing is happening. And Paul says to the Corinthian church there in 1 Corinthians 5, He tells them that this is not on. This is not on for the community of believers. He says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now note, he's not saying the destruction of his soul, but the destruction of his flesh. The destruction of his sinful desires. And then he continues, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's for salvation. So they may be saved the day of the Lord. He says, the Corinthian church, discipline, rebuke this man, because you will deliver him from the clutches of the devil. You will restore him to God. And if you think about it, he also brings up this theme in Galatians 6. So there Paul says to the brothers, he said in Galatians 6 verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if anyone is caught, he's caught, then you who are spiritual, restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Restore the brother, that he may be reconciled to God. Because this is the means that God uses 
so that his wayward children would be brought back. He uses discipline so that they may not be consumed in their sin. And so Jesus says right away, go tell him his faults. Rebuke your brother so that, Lord willing, you might win him over. That he might be confronted with his sin and humble himself before God and repent and be won over for Christ. So the driving force of of church discipline is a love for your brother, a love for your sister in Christ. And it's a concern for their relationship with God. You see, so often we fail in this respect. You know, we get so caught up in the fact that how our brother has sinned against us and how we've been hurt by our brother or hurt by our sister, that it really, the church discipline then becomes about us, becomes about getting back at them in some way or making sure that they experience justice. But here, we are showed that actually it's about that person's relationship with God. We are a family, we are the family of God. We are the household of God. And so our concern is for our brother and our sister and their relationship with God. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to have to apologize to you. It doesn't mean that there's going to not be the restoration of the relationship. That he's not going to have to come back to you and say, you know, I have wronged you in this, this way and that way. But ultimately, you know, that's going to be a part of it. But the priority is confronting them so that they might see their sin and confess it to God. To be right with God. And so you see, throughout the whole process... It's about appealing to your brother. And so what this means is that we have to ask God to give us a spirit of gentleness. And we have to ask God to help us to put away the the way that we we want to respond in anger against these people so that we're able to look past that and to see that the fact that our brother or our sister, even though they've wronged us, they are on a path to destruction. And so that we we need to ask God that he would help us to look past that so that we might desire that they would be won over for Christ. But what this also means, it means that if you are on the receiving end of rebuke, if someone comes to you and confronts you and says, look, you know, I've seen that you are, you are living this way, and this is really concerning to me because I'm really worried about your relationship with God. Because it seems that, you know, you professed your faith, I, I witnessed it, but it seems like you're not living that out at all. Well, it means if someone confronts you like that that behind that is the love of God for you behind that is God calling you to repentance so that you might be delivered from Satan and even if that ramps up and the elders come and they come to you appealing to you that you might be called out of your sin well that is God calling you that you might be made right with him so you see it's about your restoration that you might be made right with God. But then what happens if, you don't rep- if the person doesn't repent? What happens if they refuse to repent? If they continue in sin? Well, question and answer 85 tells us that if they reject the, the brotherly admonitions that are done in gentleness and in love, if they reject the elders who come to them and with the authority of Christ and, and tell them and, and appeal to them to, to repent, then they are forbidden the use of the sacraments. They are excluded from the table of the Lord. 
And then if that doesn't work, then it continues again. And then it says, and they are excluded from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are excommunicated. The kingdom is closed to them. And that is a foretaste of the judgment of God. The foretaste of judgment that is designed to break through their heart and heart that they might be yet won over. But then if they resist, if they persist in their hardness, there will be a worse judgment that that is just only a foretaste of. And it shows that any confession, any sort of gospel confession that they made was not genuine. And so the door is closed to them. It's a very serious, a serious thing, brothers and sisters. The door is shut. They have no part of the kingdom of God. And yet, we have those beautiful words in the last part of the catechism where we see that the door, when it's shut, it's not bolted shut. It's not shut forever. The hope in shutting the kingdom is so that we can later open the kingdom. The door is swung open when there is a confession of sin, when there is repentance, when there is a turning, where that person changes their lives and and walks in faith in Jesus Christ. And walks in faith with God. If we look at our our book of praise. The last form is not the excommunication of a sinner. And praise God for that. The last last form is the, the form for admission. The form for bringing in our wayward brother. Our prodigal son. The prodigal son. The prodigal daughter. And when that happens there will be a lot of joy. The door is is swung wide open. And we receive them with gladness that someone has repented from their sin and has turned. And we even read that there's, there's joy in heaven. We might rejoice here on earth, but there is great rejoicing in heaven when someone who is wayward comes back. And so the door that is, is closed by excommunication and through church discipline is opened when that person is graciously restored to God. Congregation, Christ has given us the keys of the kingdom. He's given these keys to the church so that we might live in relationship, in right relationship with him. He's given us the faithful preaching of the gospel. He's given us the faithful administration of church discipline. But, and so that by these keys, his kingdom might be built up. By, his church might be preserved and gathered and defended. These are the means that God uses to establish his kingdom and he brings his church into that. And yet, even though he gives the keys to his church, he does not leave the church on their own to exercise those keys. You know, if we're honest and if we look at the way, the way that we use these keys as as church, we have to confess there's there's so much need for forgiveness in this matter. You know, if we look at ourselves and we look at how we've conducted, well, what happens often if we see someone who's sinning? We can talk to it talk to someone else about it we can talk about hey did you hear how that person has hurt me or or how that person has sinned instead of going to them and so there's need for us as members to ask God for forgiveness for that or if we think of uh, the elders who exercise leadership in this church there we have to ask God for forgiveness as well for things that have been left undone in our work and even with the preaching of the gospel 
to ask God for his forgiveness. For where there needed to be boldness and there wasn't. Or where there needed to be a word of comfort and there wasn't. So there's no, so much need for grace and for wisdom, brothers and sisters. But yet the, the amazing thing is, is that the Christ who gives the keys to the church is also the Christ who equips the church to use those keys. Christ assures us of his presence. He says, we read it in the, the last part of Matthew 8. He says there, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And he's not talking about gathering for worship out in Esperance up north. He's talking in the context of discipline. In the context of church, his church gathering work. He's speaking about a member who's wondering, how do, I, how do I talk to my wayward sister or my wayward brother? He's talking about the, the consistory as they sit there at the table and they discuss and they wonder, Brother, what do, brothers, what do we do with this, this individual? He says that Christ is with them. I am with them. And he's speaking about the minister who's wondering how to, how to preach the gospel rightly. Congregation, our Lord wants us to understand that he is with us. That he is guiding us in the use of the keys of the kingdom. You see, the one who gives us the keys, he guides us in our use of the keys. And he is the one who will ultimately use the key of kingdom preaching and kingdom discipline to gather, to defend to preserve his church until his kingdom is finally established in glory. Amen. Let's now sing in response hymn 24 verses 1, 4, 5, and 6.
Let's come before God in, in prayer. O Lord God, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, you are indeed good to all and your mercy is over all that you have made. Lord, you are righteous in all your ways, kind in all your works. And Father, we see your kindness to us in the keys of the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that you include the church in your church gathering work. We praise you that you are, you are pleased to use these means to open and close the kingdom of God. We bless you that you have given us the, the key of kingdom preaching, where you declare to each and every one of us that we are made right with you in Christ, and that there is forgiveness by his blood. O oh God, we pray that you would give us faith, that you would work in us by the Holy Spirit, so that with the arms of faith we might believe this glorious good news. And Father, we also pray that you would be with those whom you have entrusted to preach this good news. We pray for our pastor, Reverend Poppy. We pray for our missionaries in PNG and in Brazil, everyone who proclaims your word. May they be the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of life to life, and to the other, a fragrance of death to death. As they preach from and before your holy throne, may the kingdom gates be flung wide open so that all may enter and live under your saving rule. And Father, we also thank you for your goodness to your church and in church discipline, through accountability and through brothers rebuking one another. You are compassionate, Father. You are so compassionate. And in the moment of discipline, it seems painful and often very difficult and it's unpleasant. But Lord... We confess in your word that you discipline those whom you love and you chastise the son and the daughter whom you receive. And you did it <clears throat> so that they may yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You do it so that you might deliver your children from sin. For Lord, you have no pleasure in the death of anyone, but rather that all may repent and live. And so Lord, we, we pray for those who are being disciplined or are on the way to being disciplined. We ask that you, would, that you would confront them with their sin. That through the, the other members of the congregation and through the elders, that they may see the seriousness of their ways. That they may humble themselves before you. That they may repent so that the kingdom of God may not be closed to them. And if they do remain hardened in sin, Lord, please break their hard hearts. May they never find true satisfaction and joy in this life until they are restored to you. And so, Lord, we also pray for those among us who, who wait at the door. Like the, the man in the, the parable of the prodigal son, eagerly waiting at the door for a child to come home. For a wayward child. And Lord, we pray that you'd surround them with, with your love. Lord, help them to trust your promises. Help them to commit their situation into your hands. Father, fill their restless hearts with peace. Calm their, their worries and the fears that they may have. And protect their faith from the onslaught of the devil who would try to, to make us doubt your goodness and make us doubt your love. And Father, we also pray for those who, who you, whom you have placed in authority over us. We think particularly of the, the consistory, the elders and, and deacons, whom you have appointed as under-shepherds of, 
uh, Christ. We pray that you'd grant them the wisdom which is from above, which is pure, peaceable, which is gentle, which is open to reason, full of mercy and, and full of good fruits, that is impartial and sincere. Father, please give these men the, the, the knowledge and, and all discernment as they attend to our spiritual needs. And may we as congregation also pray for them, knowing that they serve as those who have to give an account. And may we be gracious to them in their weaknesses. May we be understanding with them in their failings. And that we would be eager to, to submit to their, their good guidance. And Father, we also pray for our other authorities, the government and ruling authorities that you have placed. Lord, help us to be subject to every human authority, whether it's to the premier or to politicians, to our, our local policemen or the civil authorities whom you have given to, to punish the evildoer and also to praise those who, who do good. Lord, we ask that they, would, that they would govern effectively so that we may all lead a quiet and peaceable life, that we'd be godly in every way. Lord, there is so much sinfulness in this world and there's so much deliberate neglect of your good commandments. And Lord, it's only under your good commandments that society thrives and flourishes. And so we pray that, Lord, that, that you would be with our society, that you would call our society to repentance, that the church may be a light in this regard, and that you would create a space where there is a just society so that all may flourish. So Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to submit and also to submit to them in their weaknesses and to be patient with them and also to be a light. Lord, as we um, continue to worship you in this day, may you be with us as we fellowship with one another, as we enjoy some, some time with our families, a rest from our usual labors and the work that we will shortly be busy with in the, the next few days. Father, watch over us and bless us. We pray that you would receive our offerings for the work of, of mission work in P&G. Lord, bless their work. Lord, that the gospel may go out, that many would come to believe in you in true faith. Lord, we bring all of this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So your offerings this afternoon is requested for the mission work in P&G. And as you do so, remember the words of Matthew 6, verse 2 to 4. Thus, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you, so that you giving may be giving in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And after the offerings, we'll sing from Hymn 61, verses 1 through 2. 1 2. <clears throat>
As you depart this place, receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of, the, of, the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.